Welcome to season two of For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast connecting people engaged in the craft and industry of jewelry making. Brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supplies and hosted by yours truly, Courtney Gray. While navigating through this time, we realize the need to stay home, be safe, and stay inspired. We are truly all in this together. I'm honored and excited to take you on this journey to discover not only the how, but why we make jewelry. My goal is not only to inform you, but to empower you by sharing the passion, perspective, and perseverance of your fellow makers and professionals in all facets of the craft. Let's dive in. Born in Paris, Matthew moved to New Mexico at age 19, where he studied Navajo, Hopi, and Zuni jewelry techniques before spending several years working with jewelers in Africa. Upon viewing the talents of African artisans and the very few tools they possessed, Matthew helped co-found the Toolbox Initiative alongside jeweler and educator Tim McCright. This nonprofit organization collects gently used tools from jewelers across the globe and delivers them to jewelers in need in West Africa. Over many years of experimentation with stamps, Matthew has developed a form of stamping called tessellation, in which he creates patterns that fill entire pieces of metal with stunning results. Matthew has been teaching jewelry making in Montreal, Quebec, and offering workshops internationally for the past 15 years. He recently opened his own school in Sutton, Quebec. Award-winning stamper Matthew Chimenet, author of two books, Legacy Jewelry Techniques of West Africa and The Art of Stamping. Matthew, we're so excited to have you here today on For the Love of Jewelers. Excited to connect with you. It's been a while. Happy to see you uh, face-to-face. So welcome. Well, thank you. I'm very excited as well. Well, it'll be really good to catch up. Uh, I want to give everybody an opportunity to really hear from you. There's just so many facets I want to go go through with you today, but we'll we'll see where this journey takes us. My first question for you, Matthew, is is what do you consider yourself in like a jeweler, a metalsmith? What is the name when people ask what you do? I love metalsmiths. I think yeah. for me, that's the right term. Um, and it's funny because in France, in French, there is not such a term. So it's a little bit difficult. I'm not a joaillier or bijoutier. So I think silversmith is really a good, or even metalsmith. I love metalsmith. Yeah. Seems to feel, feel right to you. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. There's so much talk around nomenclature of what we call ourselves. So I think that's very interesting to, to kind of get the perspectives of different makers. How did you learn about jewelry? When, when did that begin for you? It it it's uh, it really begins. I think the first time when I uh, went to New Mexico uh, to visit, uh, I had a great aunt that was a painter in New Mexico in Taos. She was a, in the same group as Georgia O'Keeffe, and um, she bought an old pueblo house and she moved there in a van and started painting there. And so when I visited her um, in Taos, there is used to be a lot of beautiful shop on the plaza and so i would walk around and see all that navajo op and zuni jewelry and just i just totally fell in love with it before that i had a um i think my my first uh real connection was uh my mom she had a beautiful collection of jewelry from around the world my dad was a volcanologist so it will travel to afghanistan to everywhere and Every trip, it would bring actually pieces of jewelry for my mom. So she had this huge showcase of Afghan pieces, 
uh, a collection of crosses from Ethiopia. And I always was so fascinated by it. And I think that was the first little attraction to jewelry. But um, it came really when I went to New Mexico. That's when I, I realized the, uh, the bigger connection, I think. When was that? When you when you landed in New Mexico, you were ni- 19, right? Yeah, the first time I went, I was 17. And then... Um, I finished my um, baccalaureate, the, the French exam, which I missed. Uh, but then I convinced my parents that I could go to Taos and learn and pass it in Los Angeles. So I did that. Yeah. So um, you started with that style of jewelry. Was that the first kind of style that you learned? And Yeah, right away, mm-hmm. uh, stamping, first thing. Mm, yeah, okay. Um, how do you how do you make decisions with the stamp the stamping in particular? This is kind of something that, from a design perspective, I'd love to hear from you. Is how how do you make a commitment when you're going down this design path with a stamp? Um, your work is so precise and it it looks very measured and like it was purposeful, so to speak. Um, how do you make that commitment to the textures and patterns? Um, well, thank you, but it, it actually it's. It took 20 years to get there, I think. It's, um, I, first, when I uh, do, was doing stamping, I was doing more Navajo-style stamping uh, as decoration and then just straight lines of stamp on each side to make a pattern. And for years, I was just doing that. Um, and the, the tessellation part where uh, the texture just happened maybe six, seven years ago only where um, I was, I had a big sheet of silver and I started to fill the whole thing. And it, it, it yeah, and, and it evolved. Uh, there were an evolution from that, but it's, um, that's when it started. And, and now um, the way I lay it is I make one stamp and I stamp one direction. And then I, I, um, I, I'm, create another stamp that fits whatever opening there is left and come back the other ways. So it's, it's, it's really uh, straightforward. I just, I don't have to think about it, make my lines and stamp. Comes very natural in, yeah. in the design process. Yeah. <clears throat> does it, does it leave a lot of room for playfulness in, in your mind or? Yeah. It's almost like a meditation. I, I have, you know, it takes a few hours to stamp a sheet of server. So I, it's, plenty of time to think about other thing and, and but i'm always having our time doing the same thing you know it seems like it's so repetitive so you know you're doing it but so i, I spend half an hour and i'll do something totally different um work on a on another part of the process like uh bending the bracelet soldering basil anything but so i, I always um give myself half an hour of stamping and then change Nice. Yeah. yeah. I think that's pretty common for makers is keep a couple of irons in the fire and, and move back and forth. So we keep ourselves, what is that? We keep ourselves flowing or entertained. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I, I think it's a, yeah. Entertain is a good one or, or maybe just um, keep it alive. I mean, if I will do the same thing, I think I will get uh, bored a little bit. And if you look at on, on my bench there is probably 20 projects there is you know it's just i need to move from one and another it's it's 
I never start a piece and finish it. Are you are you making for uh, custom work for a lot of other for a lot of clients right now, or what is your main when you're not teaching or writing or working in West Africa with the jewelers there? What kind of work are you producing? Um, I I do very little order. Uh, I like to make. You know, I'm a bit of a snob, I guess. I, I like to make what I like. And then if somebody wants it, it's great. Um, I, I mean, I hope they do. Um, so I, I really, uh, I'm having a time doing what someone wants. Um, and also this way, everybody's happy. Because, you know, when you do some, uh, we all, um, the client and, and I, we don't always have the same vision of what it's going to look like and I don't draw well and I don't like drawing so much so I'll I like to just work straight in metal and if the person likes it I think it's fantastic if not you know and I don't mind remelting a piece and change it around and but I like to uh yeah I like to so I I, I will do pieces sell it send it to galleries mostly and, mm-hmm. then, and then few orders here and there but uh only if the person you know, like one bracelet and they want to change a tiny bit, I will I will do that, but that's pretty much it, yeah. Yeah, make what you want and then put it out there. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, that custom thing is a whole other ball game, you know? It, it is, and uh, yeah, I don't think I'm... Um, it takes a lot of courage, I think, to do custom work. And uh, um, yeah, and you need to have a, a mindset for that a little bit. Where um, and maybe I'm I'm too all over the place to to uh, to follow a straight line of what the person would want. Maybe yeah, it's a good way to put it. <laughs> I like that. Um, so let's talk about tools a little bit. I love that. So you're doing mostly gallery work, and um, or what are your main? What are your favorite tools on your bench? I know that you work with stamps. Yeah, lots of stamps. Um, I like. I think. Favorite tools uh, has to be, um, I have a, a Tuareg hammer. Somebody gave me once, just beautiful handmade hammer that is just perfect um, for forging, for anything. It's just just a perfect hammer. So I'm really loving that. And one of the things I love the most is the bench pin. So I often make, uh, I always make my own bench pin. And I always try to find a nice piece of wood. And uh, so, yeah, I met I met uh, a Philly, uh, a jeweler from Atlanta, and he just sent me, he, he saw my bench pin when we did a class, uh, and he sent me a nice big piece of wood to make bench pins. So that was very sweet. Yeah. What's, what is so important to you about the, the pen, the shape, or the, the material itself? Well, it, it's what I look at most of the day. So I think it needs to be attractive some, to, to some extent. So, and I like them thick. And I like, uh, yeah, I like, it's like, a, it's a, it's, you know, I did, when I was in Africa, I did hundreds of pictures of bench pins. I think they just, each one represents someone and it's like uh, almost a portrait. So they're, they're very important for me, yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's your... And it's your main support. I mean, that is the focal point of the bench. It's also that part of the bench that becomes your support system for your, what you're working on. And yeah. Your hands and everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I like I like that. All right. That old part um, of um sorry, I cut you. Um mm-mm. that old part of the bench, even the circle. Um so I I, I like to make uh, I made my all of my benches and so the just the circle where you I, I like it big, like the old fashioned bench in Europe where you actually are inside the bench and then you're right in front of your bench pin. I love that. Mm, like with the scoop, like the yeah. the rounded kind of scoop. Yeah. Well, now now we're going to have to post some pictures uh, of, of Math- Matthew's bench. I think that would be something that people would like to see <laughs> or do a studio tour with you soon. Yeah, I would love that. Um, and you're working on a school right now. How many benches are you going to include in your personal school? So the school, yeah, I did, uh, for now I did four benches uh, because of COVID. Um, Because I was open the last, I mean, October, November, now we're we're in in shutdown. So I looked uh, closed again, but I have four benches, but they're they're big benches. They're um, five feet by six feet, each of them. And there is a plexiglass all around. So for for that purpose, I didn't want more people. each of those bench later on can be um, can receive two person, and I can add two more. So ideally, not I don't want more than you know eight or ten places. I like to keep it small. Oh, that's lovely. That's exciting. Um, what? Um, well, I want to talk to you more about education, but first, I kind of want to get back to to talking about tools and the basic. One of the things that I just love is watching your videos from the Toolbox Initiative, and we're going to share more with our community about what's going on with the Toolbox, so sit tight. But um, I kind of want to talk to you about learning with with basic tools. I know when Tim came down uh, and and I got a chance to kind of see how he teaches, and uh, it was really fascinating to me the mint how we're so tool flooded in this industry. Like there's so many things that we become addicted to wanting to just the new tool, the new shiny thing that we think is going to make it easier to work, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about your, your approach to, to tool selection. Yeah. It's funny. We had a talk with Tim not long ago about that, about uh, people showing collection of hammers and, um, and how, you know, we have 20, 25 hammer, but you know, at the end of the day, we use one or two, which I mean, for me, I think it's fantastic that people have big collection of hammer because when they realize they don't need them, they'll send it to the toolbox. But <laughs> um, no, but uh, um, I, I really, uh, I think that's what attracted me in the first place to jewelry making, either way uh, in New Mexico or in Africa is um, that able to make something with very little tools. Because I, I, I mean, I, you know, and also to have little tools, I find what it allows you to to be able to be anywhere and make something. Uh, to travel, to to spend time on the beach, and just like create something. If you have, you know, too many tools, you cannot move around. You're kind of stuck. But if you have, uh, uh, you know, a saw, a file, a hammer, and an anvil, and few other little thing, and also it it pushes you to learn the basic, more of the basic of the technique. Um, I'm taking example, forging. I mean, you can just make your own uh, sheet server or wire with just a hammer and you don't need anything else. So I, I think the minimum, I, I, I love the idea of, of working with very little 
uh, like everyone else, I have way too many tools and I have a lot of tools and uh, I'm not different. Uh, <laughs> I love yeah. gadget. I love new tools. Um, but I, I love the idea to be able to do things with very little tools. That's pretty much what it is. When you're teaching, do you use that same approach as if, you know, you were going to show a student who could how to kind of work with what they have rather than thinking they need to add to the, the toolbox? Yeah, uh, um, definitely. Uh, each student at, at my new school, the, the, the toolbox is very simple. They have a few little tools and I like the idea of for them to uh, to make something from scratch. So we always, you know, we do we pull the ingate everything from beginning to end with very little tools. So that's yeah. I, I think it's a good way to learn, and then you can uh, go on and add to it. But to 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 learn with the basic tools is, I think, it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of talk too in these days and studies out there about the importance of making things with your hands and, you know, and especially right now in such a digital forward age that we're, we're in and heading deeper into. Do you mind talking a little bit about your, I don't know, your belief around that too and the importance? I'm sure as an educator, that's important to you, obviously. About the new technologies? No, more about the importance of keeping the hand skills. Um, let me rephrase that question. The, what is the importance in your mind of making things with tools and with your hands in this digital forward age? Well, I think it's, it's important to not forget. Um, for me, that's the main thing. And that's why even all the books uh, I'm working on, it's, it's all about keeping uh, those technical lives. And I think if we... If we um, use more and more machines. I have nothing against new technology. I, I love 3D printing for some stuff. I, I'm open to all of that, but at the same time, one should not take away from the other. And I think um, it's very important to keep that feeling. Also, it's so beautiful to work with your hand and to make something straight from hand. There is nothing, uh, I think, more fulfilling for me to do that so um but also to you know we we have a tendency and you see that in europe and and anywhere in the world that uh with new technology we lose techniques and we lose you know chain making um in the old days everybody used to know how to make a chain today yeah we know how to make a loop solder inside a loop but all the other chain made my machine we 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 kind of forgot how um, how things are made. So that's the idea: is to just keep all of those techniques that it took generation to learn and to create. To to just keep it, uh, yeah. To 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 keep them alive and for people to still make them. I think it's very important. Yeah, these are you know things that should be passed on and techniques that you know go way 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 back. I mean, to the beginning of of time and. Uh, you know, the, I agree with you, Matthew. I think the more technology comes in, the more we can get away from sitting down and creating the patience to, you know, fabricate something from scratch, like you're saying. So, so you see that in in many things. I mean, in uh, buildings, uh, old buildings in stone, how th things were the stone were and cut, and it, it, there is a different feeling to it than uh, something that we see today. The uh, 
even now they're starting to do 3D printing of buildings. All of it that is, is um, I think it's important to, to have a, um, a space for all of those, but we should not forget how things are done. I find it's very important. Yeah, I feel like it's the base of engineering is to actually make it, you know, and then yeah. you begin to understand how to to include the digital, the tech into to the process. So Matthew, for a minute, let's talk about the moment you decided to connect with Tim McCright and form the Toolbox Initiative. Can you tell us what, you know, I feel like there's this moment where things kind of come to you and it's like, we have to do this. <laughs> Can you tell us what that experience was like? Yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, it's been one of the best experience, actually, the, the whole process uh, with Tim. Well, it started when uh, I, I I wanted to do a book on uh, African jewelry technique, and um, and one day I called Tim, and uh, I was you know I, I I called Bryn Morgan Press, and I was so surprised that Tim answered the phone, and uh, like most of young jewelry, it, it always been uh, quite a star. So it's I was really blown away that. Uh, Tim McRae will answer his own phone. I was sure he had like secretary and all of that. So anyway, we talked about the book and he said, well, when you'll be ready, you'll uh, call me. So uh, I think it took a couple of years and I called him back. And um, well, anyway, to make a long story short, we, we met in men and I showed him everything I worked on and right away he was really into it. And um and agreed to do a book and a DVD. And uh, so it was fantastic. I could not believe it. But uh, I needed a few more techniques for the book. And one of them, uh, I needed to go to Senegal. And I, I told uh, Tim, I said, well, would you want to come uh, with me to Senegal and have that experience? And uh, right away, uh, he jumped on it and, and said yes. So we organized a trip. And um, before going to Senegal, I I told him, I said, you know, every time I go, I bring a few tools or a little bit of server so we can give it away to jewelers that might need it, and um, which I've been doing for years. And so we went. We had a fantastic trip. And when we were in Senegal, uh, one day, Tim, he said, you know, we should do that uh, in a bigger scale, and we should um, include all the jewelers in North America that maybe want to give tools. So that's really how it started. And when we came back, we worked on the process of how we could do it. And I mean, what a better person to do it with Tim. It's so, it's, it's so well known and so many connections and, he, and he's so um, efficient at doing anything he's doing is so efficient that it made that project just so easy. What a wonderful connection. And, and I know you guys have become very close and I'm sure things are on pause right now with the Toolbox Initiative. And if you guys out there listening aren't familiar, you need to really look into what Matthew and Tim have created here and the opportunity for others to share through them with uh, with this initiative. Uh, tell us a little bit, you know, real quickly how we, people can find out more about and stay in tune. Matthew, should they follow you? Yeah, we have a... Toolbox Initiative on Facebook. They can follow on that, and it's a it's a great way to to see what we do because we uh, uh, always post thing on fa on our Facebook page, 
uh, on the website, it's more information and uh, uh, for donation as well. So it's a toolbox initiative ORG, I believe. But um, and on YouTube, we post a lot of videos on techniques and our trips on the YouTube channel of the toolbox, and that's a great way to to do it. And uh, yeah, with COVID, actually, we we we've been on pause from going, but we've been very busy. Uh, the last year, um, we've been quite blessed that uh, uh, so many people have been generous and give uh, money. So we were able to actually financially help hundreds of jewelers uh, this past year. Wow. So that was fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. That is such a blessing. I'm glad to hear you're still able to you know, provide that assistance. Uh, even without being connected in person. It's been a, a challenge. Talk to me more about this experience in West Africa. I knew you spent so much time there. It's probably very uh, much a part of your culture. And But for those of us who haven't had an opportunity, you know, when I look at these pictures, I just see smiling, happy people who are working with, uh, it just looks like a nail or a screwdriver and a hammer and a stake. And it's it just so impressive to me that the the work that's being created is is so immaculate. Um, can you just talk to us a little bit about that whole experience for in your eyes? And I want to hear some stories. You know, I, I really feel at home when I'm there. Um, and, and when you talk about the smile, it's it's just a happy place. There is always. Um, you know, any workshop we walk into, there is so many people and just talking, smiling, laughing. It's it just a happy place. I really see it as a, a as a fantastic. Um, every trip is just a new experience. But yeah, and the techniques are are just um, stunning. And like you said, you, using just an old nail to make something so beautiful. Um, I mean, my first experience, and I think that's part of why I've been always back, is when I moved to Africa in 96, I moved to Mali. Um, I was just going there to to be with my uh, wife now, but the, my girlfriend at the time, she was living with her mom, and uh, I was supposed to go and visit for a couple of weeks, stayed for almost three years. And she was going to school in Mali, so during the day, I will just take my camera and walk around on the street. And for three years, I really walked the streets. And every time I will meet a jeweler, I, will, I, I, I had no money at the time, and I will just sit with them and they will show me techniques. They will just make me tea, bring me food. It was just like this willingness to give and to help. And, um, and conversation, but at the same time with the conversation, the person will make forge a bracelet in no time. And just, it was just, it's part of their, it's almost like it's part of their DNA, the, the knowing how to move and transform metal. And you see it everywhere. It just um, take a, a little piece of silver and transform it into this perfect ring with a hammer. And at the same, as you do that, you have like, three conversation um and just a hammer and a file and it just every time it's it blows my mind definitely impressive the the work that i've seen uh, seen you guys 
kind of get to get a chance to experience being made and what what's your favorite story about about taking tools over to these West African jewelers is there one person in particular who just really benefited from from that gift well that's a odd one because there's there's so many stories about those tools i mean i i one of my favorite is uh we we um we were in this little market called Pekin and it was this Fulani jeweler and he had like this little hole in a wall blackened from the forge being inside the shop where it was melting the metal and so he was not speaking any French or of course any English so we had a friend with us that was translating and we gave him tools and he had probably one hammer, one file, and an anvil in his shop. And his showcase had like maybe two little rings. And we gave him tools and, and no smile, nothing. It was just, we're like, okay, maybe we insulted him. We, we, we felt almost um, off to have it, give it to him. And he started talking to the person with us and he said, um, can you write a note saying, uh, that you're not coming back to ask money for those tools. So he was just, he could not believe the fact that we were just giving, giving him tools. He was sure we were going to come back and ask for money for it. Right. And that was just like uh, one of the many, uh, and it, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much it helped him like you, like for your question, but it was just showing how much, and this happened often where people just um, never received in their life a gift. Mm. And this happened so many times where they said, they said, that's the first time somebody is giving me something. And so that's, I mean, for me, that's always um, so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. And, but one, one year we gave uh, a, a young man, uh, Usman uh, Tiam. Usman Tiam in Ties, we gave him uh, 30 grams of silver, one of the first year we went. And um, the year after, we came back, and his showcase was full. And I, I think we talked about that at one point in another interview with Tim, but it, mm -hmm. it was so good. It just We asked him, we said, wow, what happened? You, you, know, you have so many pieces. And he's like, well, you gave me 30 grams of silver. I made pieces. I sold them. And I reinvest and et cetera, et cetera. And now I had a full showcase. So that's another one that uh, really marked me personally. Yeah. Well, it's confirmation that you really are making a difference with, with this action, you know, um, allowing people to expand what they can offer and what they can make with those tools. It's amazing to think about never getting a gift and then having somebody just hand you these <laughs> Items, I guess I would be weary too and want some sort of agreement. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That you, you know, yeah. Are you got coming back for these, are you? you know? um, that's amazing. And now there's a new school. I mean, you guys are what, five or six years into the initiative, right on the timeline there, yeah. Matthew. Yeah. And, and there's a new school being created um, by a, a gentleman, Egoal Duga, if I'm saying that correctly, in, in Niger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a great project. I love it. It's uh, Egawel is a, a Tuareg jeweler we met in Senegal. He, he, he works a lot in Sali. A lot of uh, the Tuareg jeweler they they um, they travel abroad abroad to um, 
to sell and to work because there is more tourists. Um, Niger and Mali, there is almost no tourists right now because of Al-Qaeda and different problems in the region. So they, they travel away. And so that's where we met Egawel. But with COVID, most of those jewelers just uh, went back home because, you know, they don't have, they can be in their village. It's easier. They don't have the rent um, that they, they will have to pay in Senegal, but they were not making any money. So they they moved back to their country. And uh, Egawel decided to open a little school for the kids of the village and the village around his village. So we started by sending him some money to, um, to build pretty much a tent. And so he started in the tent. And he had 10 young boys there to start. And slowly the project became to build, um, to build a building. So um, we helped him build a building. And now it's going to open very soon, actually, where half of the building is going to be a school for the boys to learn uh, jewelry making and the other half for young girls to learn uh, leather working. In the triculture, the jewelers, uh, it's a big group. The jewelers, it's leatherworking, stone sculpture, uh, sculptures, uh, stone carving, sorry, uh, wood carving to build uh, spoon, bowls, uh, beds, camel seat, etc. They're all jewelers. But the woman uh, in, in that culture, a woman jeweler actually does uh, leatherwork. So it's going to be a leather school. Interesting. So the women don't work in metals primarily. You would say it's that's more of a male will do the metalsmithing and the women do the leather work. Exactly. It's part of the culture. There is nothing against um, um, most of the jewelers I've been talking to. They're totally open for women to do jewelry. It's just, but culturally, which I think it's important to keep it um, to not intervene in the culture. So that's why I'm not. We're not pushing. One way or another, I think it's good for for everyone to to take their own decision uh, towards their culture. Of course, yeah, of course. And so the building's coming along. This is so exciting. So he started in a in a tent, and now they're actually constructing with brick and um, taking donations from Toolbox Initiative that you guys are donating to um, to create that facility, huh? Yeah, and it's uh, it's a beautiful little building. We we just did a, another post on the on on the Facebook of Toolbox uh, about that actually. Yeah, I saw the the video of them laying bricks so quickly, and it's amazing what you can do what what they're doing with such minimal, again minimal materials and minimal funds. I would I was shocked at the numbers of you know twenty five dollars for bricks and this that and the other. It's Un- unbelievable you know to me oh yeah it goes a long way and that's that it works well and and on top of it um, my mother-in-law just got a job in niger and so she left uh, two weeks ago for niger for for a year and so we we took that opportunity to send a lot of tools for that school so it should arrive very soon oh wonderful that's exciting Oh, very cool. Nice that, like I said, you guys can keep moving even with the the uh, challenge that we're we're facing right now with not begin. No, we can't just jump on a plane like we used to. You no. know, it's not yeah. quite the same. Uh, and I love I love reading too about how this is not just 
building a school and, and educating the next generation there uh, and giving them opportunity like that. It's more about supporting the village and the families who live there, the cooks, the, you know, that prepare the meals, et cetera. And I just think that's really wonderful that it's, it's spreading the, you know, spreading out the, uh, the benefit there. Yeah, I agree. And also the, 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 uh, the person was building the schools and at the market where they buy the wood. It, it just, it's a nice way to, um, because of the gen- generosity of all the jewelers that actually uh, send us money. So talk, talk to us a little bit more about teaching, Matthew. I want to hear about uh, a little bit more about your school and what the focus of your school is going to be and why you educate, why, is, why this is so important to you to, to do now in your life. The, the school is... Um, the men, I always wanted to do school. Um, it's funny, it's a long, uh, it's a really old idea that I had to, uh, to create a school, mostly in the countryside. And the idea behind it was more to bring, actually, a jeweler from around the world to teach there. And um, when I, I first had the idea was to, it's, for me, the school is just a way to share techniques. And, um, you know, if I can show something, great. But I love the idea that many people could come and, and just, you know, maybe a, a Tuareg from Niger come and show people how it's done for a few months. Um, that's really what, what I wanted to do uh, first. Of course, with COVID, things changed around. and um, But, yeah, but for the teaching, for me, it's really to be able to show someone um, how to to transform the metal. Um, I love starting from, from scratch all the way to, to, so that the first project pretty much it's people make a ring and it, they, they make a ring pretty much any way they want. Um, it could be forged, it could be sand cats. So right away we really dive into, uh, transforming the metal, melting the metal and, uh, and using very little, like we talked earlier, a very little tool to actually get somewhere. So before we get into like specific techniques, uh, I like the idea of of just feeling it and um, how things can be transformed. Yeah, and working from scratch, like you said. So you're going to be melting the metal, pouring ingots, and actually showing people those forging techniques to work from. That's pretty unique. You know, I think there's a lot of... Uh, the way that some some educate anyway is is working from sheet metal or something that's already the correct size of wire, et cetera. Uh, we're a little bit spoiled. <laughs> but the the value in in teaching how to work with the materials and recycle them, et cetera, I think is going to be kind of something that really sets you aside. Would you agree? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I learned by watching for for years, I was just watching and um and after you know, when I when I went home, repeat, tried to repeat what I've seen, and and then later on in life, I did a school where I learned more traditional techniques uh, in Montreal, where you know you sit down and you saw for 120 hours just sewing, and straight line, curved line, and uh, you know it made me think about. You know, I don't think there is one way better than the other, but I, I love the idea of of um, of just applying what you've seen, and that's a little bit what I'm trying to do. A, a little bit like the, I will not say the African way, but like 
where you take something and transform it. And and then later on, yes, you spend time cutting and filing. It's I don't it's hard to explain. It's the I like the process of discovering in a way. Yeah. That happens with that with that time, yeah, that you put into into making something or drawing it out. I think there's a lot of lessons there for sure. It makes total sense. Well, I'm excited for the new school and you're also working on a new book. Well, hopefully a book, right? With the Tuareg, the Tuareg jewelers that you've worked with. And tell us a little bit about what you got going on there, Matthew. Okay. So that's a, um, it's like a big research project. It's been uh, in the making for, for quite a while. And all of a sudden with in the last few months, I decided to uh, to jump in it, and and again, uh, really uh, supported with by Tim on, on that project. And um, I've been always really in love with the Tuareg jewelry and the, and their um, their technique. I think the Tuareg for me are some of the most efficient um, jeweler I ever seen all around the world. Um, the way, you know, every movement a Tuareg jeweler will do is there is not one movement that is not meant. And, and you can see it, how efficient, uh, they can transform a, a piece of silver into this amazing, uh, piece of jewelry and they can, and, and they're Tuareg. So they, they work, they, you know, they used to travel the Sahara on caravan. And so they, they use very little tool. They always travel with what they need. So they really have an anvil and a couple hammer and an old screwdriver to do engraving and a file maybe. And um, and so their technique always, I, I've been just fascinated by it. And um, and I included some twig in both of the books I, I, I did so far. But this one... Um, you know, I, I went through, I have thousands of pictures of Tuareg jewelers, techniques, their life uh, throughout the years. But I, I was missing uh, so much still to, to make um, a project that is worth uh, making in the way I thought. So I've been, uh, um, we sent uh, iPhone to a few people uh, in Niger and in Senegal. Uh, some Tuareg left in Senegal, and then so now, you know, the idea will be to co-author the book with with Tuaregs, pretty much, um, because I, I'm not. I, I feel like we're all doing it together, and so I have friends that um, are doing demonstration of probably like fifteen to twenty um, pieces, and. And so I, I'm getting picture of all those demos. So I, I and on, you know, on top of it, it's a way for them to make money right now. With COVID, there is no money making. So I'm we're, we're paying every demos and um yeah, and everybody was part of it. It's like so. It's a it's it's a very interesting uh, project. I, I'm really loving it. Every day I receive 500 pictures from. Senegal from somebody's doing a project and some picture from the Sahara. The other day I got a little video of a caravan going in the Sahara. It's it's really, really exciting. It's so wonderful. And it's really neat that you guys can work on that together with the 
again, there's a use for technology, right? <laughs> Especially yeah. right now, you know, as that you can send them those cameras and uh, or iPhones and they just are simply able to share a video with you. That's that's going to be really exciting to see how that comes together, Matthew. I know it's a process. <laughs> yeah, it's a long process. Yeah. Well, writing a book is not it's not done overnight, that's for sure. And um, The Legacy of Jewelry Techniques of West Africa is another book of Tim's that you guys can check out. It's so beautiful. And The Art of Stamping, which gives a glimpse into these techniques that Matthew's really become a master of, I would say. Um, how are those going? Are you getting, do you get good feedback on these books? Are they helping, are they producing what you were hoping for people? I, I think, uh, yes, I, they are. The, the, the stamping book is really getting very good feedback. And, um, you know, I think it's all because there is amazing artists in it. And, and, um, you know, I, I love the idea of having biography and, and work of people. And I think that's what makes both of those books so uh, valuable. It's you, you, you're kind of getting into the life of those people and seeing the work and stuff. So, uh, yeah, no, it's really, uh, I'm very, very pleased with both of the uh, result I'm getting from it. Nice to see them come to life, I bet, after yeah. Yeah, all that contemplation. And you do your own photography and video work. Is that right, Matthew? A lot of the video that we get to see of of people making in West Africa, et cetera, that's, is that you behind the camera? Yes, I, I, love, uh, I love filming and I love um, taking photography. I... I before doing jewelry, I was I wanted to be a photographer, and uh, I, I so I did a lot of photography, and uh, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Get to combine your skill sets and create something really, you know, unique. I think that's wonderful. What are you? Are you teaching online now? Um, this is a little off subject, but I'm curious what your take on teaching online with COVID and post COVID, and how that's going to all move forward. Do you I, do you have anything to share about that or kind of a perspective for us? Yeah, I, I'm really an, enjoying that uh, new format to some extent. I mean, there is some stuff I'm, I'm not so fan about the online teaching, but some of it is to be able to reach um, so many people that you will not reach if, if it was not happening. The visa also, I could not go and teach in the States for because sometimes you could not get visa. So... Right now, it's it's with the online process. It's quite easier. Um, I see it more as a demo than teaching to some extent, because there is uh, often it's two hours and then you know a few days in between and two hours. So it's it's more like I see it more as demos than teaching. I find the teaching part is a little bit harder online in the sense where. You know, somebody wants to show you what they've done, and if the quality is not so good, you don't even see it mm. uh, because of the video and the stream. And and so I um I think as a demo, it's really good as a um as a human connection. It's a little bit harder. I like you know when I teach, I love the human connection. Uh, I love being in that group part where we can all share. Uh, where there is a live question right away when things are happening. So I'm missing that part a lot online. Mm, yeah. uh, Sometimes you feel alone at your bench. Uh, but but it's a fantastic uh, way to keep going. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, thank goodness we have Imagine, you know, without the technology, the ability to jump on a Zoom or see family, you know, et cetera, at least through a screen, I think is, we're, we're pretty lucky that that we have all of that in place, you know, when something like this is going on. Um, but I think it's really, you know, personally, I think it's going to change the way people learn a little bit. And um, are you seeing your students have success? I know it's hard to see what they're doing. And is there a difference in the success rate of your students being online or being in person? Yeah, I, I, I um, it's, it's different. I mean, I, I've seen uh, things that students sent me afterwards, pictures and video and, and uh, you know, really good stuff. So yes, I, I I do see success for sure. Um, there is the there is always I find uh, what's missing. It's really the which I think um, you know some people said maybe we'll just move to Zoom forever. But I think it the, the in person thing is so different, uh, and it's so valuable to be able to um, you know when you even when you show someone how to file. Um, to be able to hold the file and and really feel it, or so I think that again there is room for for all of it probably after after worth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you? I want to ask you a little bit about you personally, Matthew, before we let you go today. And wh- how do you define? This is going to be a big one. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that. No, no, don't let it overwhelm you, but. Uh... I'm just curious for you how you define success. Do you feel like successful maker and metalsmith? No, I, I, how, I think success for me, and yes, I do feel success. Uh, and how I define it is, is to be able to do what you love and, and to be able to make a living from what you love. And that's success. So yes, uh, I, I really feel in that, sense i feel really uh, successful i spend all my life trying to do that is to really to follow my art and to 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 go always the step further you know things just happen when i, I find when you follow your what you have to do it's it just happens and i've been blessed that that's what happened and and yes so yeah i do feel very successful in that part i love how you put that um was there a one particular struggle or or event that was kind of a setback for you in building your creative business yeah i think the um you know it's it's not going to be a good one but i i think what's changed everything in my life was to uh, i taught for eight years in a school in montreal and full-time salary was great but i realized that it actually slowly killed me and killed my you know, wanted to make jewelry. Uh, you know, you, you, when you work full time, you don't have the energy to make jewelry. And at one point, I just, you know, realized that uh, do I want to make jewelry or do I want to teach full time in a governmental school? And and I think that was, in a way, it was. Uh, it's hard to say. No, it was not a setback because I learned so much from from teaching even if it was the same program by repeating those same thing for eight years it, it actually learned a lot but it was a liberation when i stopped so i always felt it like it was maybe a setback but now that i talk about it it's it, it was I, I needed that to happen to get where i am today so uh 
yeah, maybe no, I don't see it then as a setback. Sorry. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's more part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, without without that, you know, experience, you well, each thing leads us to the next, I guess. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Well, Matthew, this is so wonderful. Is there anything else that you can think of that you'd like to share about about your experience in, in the craft? Anything you'd want to share with uh, somebody who maybe is just getting into it? I think the, for me, like when you get into it, and I, I got that from, um, it's funny, it, my, both of my parents passed away when uh, I was in my early 30s, one one after another. And at that time in life, I went to see um, someone to talk about. I was just, they both died from cancer. And so I was always worried about cancer. And anyway, I, I went to see um, someone and 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 we talked and at that time in life my style of jewelry was a little bit all over the place i was actually trying to um to please people instead of pleasing myself mm. and and so i talked to that person and she said you know what for a year just do one style stop trying to move around and just do one thing concentrate on one thing and that actually changed my life. It's when I really went into stamping uh, full time and I was just keep on doing the same thing. And I think, you know, it's uh, what I want to say to all those young makers is to just find your way and push it forward. Just be patient and just push it forward and you will succeed. I love that <clears throat> and be okay with a couple of hiccups along the road, right? Yeah, exactly. But but really to, uh, yeah, to just try to keep it forward for a while and, and just see where it leads you. Mm. I feel like a lot of people put so much pressure on themselves to be successful or to create really impressive work in the beginning. And I, I don't perceive jewelry as being one of those that you just jump into and write the opera, so to speak, or, you know, create your masterpiece right away. It's a process, right? It is a big process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also to be open to, uh, I mean, you know, to share really, and to, um, you know, we have a tendency in North America to, or in general, to just be in ourselves and, and thinking we have secret. And I think we don't, we, it's, just by sharing, the more you share, the more will come to you as well. So I think it's important to just be open and sharing and, and then things comes to you. And well, and you get back, you know, you get to see others, tech, other people's techniques, especially, you know, that's just such a big thing in your world, Matthew, with what you do and the travels and being able to see, you know, how is, how is this certain region approaching the work and you know, and then coming back to North America, is there is there a culture shock that happens to you in that process? I'm curious. I, I always have a, a shock when I come back to North America. Uh, mostly when I lived in Mali for three years, it was very hard to come back and live in Canada for the for 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 quite a while. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's just. Uh, I, I, yeah, I've been, I've been, I'm, I'm very, I've been quite blessed to be able to, uh, to move around and to, I mean, I've met so many really fantastic people and, uh, you know, and I feel very lucky that I met uh, Tim, which uh, that was quite a change in my life. And 
yeah, I'm very thankful to him for everything. Well, Tim's just everybody's mentor. <laughs> I, I love him so much. He's a wonderful, wonderful person, very humbled. Um, I find that to be a commonality too with, with makers. It's, you know, like you said, you, how, how is Tim answering his phone? Doesn't he have a secretary or, you know, I, I think what people, what I would hope that people start to realize is these, these are the mentors and they are available. You know, many of them are making themselves available to, to you taking a class with them or even having a phone call. You know, I'm not saying blow up Tim McCright's phone, you guys, but, <laughs> but I say reach out, you know, on social media and, and ask questions. There's a whole community that is in my eyes, very accessible in this craft. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I mean, yeah, I agree. Very surprising. Uh, I mean, lots of people. I mean, Charles Littenbrain, uh, Alain Revere, they all like just always there to help. And it's uh, quite amazing. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point here, guys. We're so excited to have this format to share with you all and to, again, connect you with those that you are you may be curious about their approach. And um, we invite you to, to stay tuned in with us. Matthew, thank you so much uh, for taking time out and great to connect with you uh, all the way in Canada. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And um, you guys stay tuned to the Toolbox Initiative. Uh, Matthew Shimonead, make, make sure you keep in touch with his classes that'll be coming up online and in person. And uh, yeah, onward and upward. Thank you again, Matthew. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of For the Love of Jewelers. Stay tuned for the next episode by subscribing through Spotify, iTunes, or by searching podcast at riograndecom I encourage you to rate us, write a review, and share with friends and colleagues. I hope you're all finding ways to stay inspired. I'm your host, Courtney Gray. Until we get to connect again, onward and upward. <laughs>